If you're sick of the mainstream sports outlets, well, so was I. So I started my own show. I'm Shane Larson, and this is the Game Time Guru. It's different than other talk shows. I'm providing a panoramic view on sports so you can see them through a different lens. So buckle up and let's go. Today on the Game Time Guru podcast, we're going to be joined by a former assistant coach from the NFL. This coach spent time with John Gruden and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers during the Super Bowl days. He also spent time under Jim Harbaugh and the San Francisco 49ers, as well as others. So we're going to learn about his coaching career all the way from his playing days in college through his coaching days, all through college, through the NFL. We're going to learn about how technology played a role in him being able to land a job in the NFL. And we're also going to talk about his radio career. It's where I actually first heard from him on ESPN Boise back in the day. So you don't want to miss this one. Buckle up. What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. So this week, I am bringing on an amazing guest, Coach Mike Christensen. Uh, he used to be on ESPN Boise. Loved the guy. Loved his show. Uh, loved the guest that he brought on. And I've kind of kept tabs on his career, just like kind of seeing what he's doing now. But I used to research what he was doing back then and, and like where he came from and just to get a little bit more information on him. And now he gets to join me on my show to discuss his career with my listeners, which is awesome. Um, it's an amazing opportunity. I, I love this show. I love doing this podcast because I get to meet some of these guys that I've been listening to and following for years. Um, and they don't even know me, but this gives me an opportunity and a platform to get to know them and let my listeners know them as well. So um, this episode is going to be two parts, uh, two interviews that are going to be launching. So obviously today and then next Friday. So keep an eye out for the next episode. But yeah, we're going to go through uh, episode one, or sorry, part one of episode 87. Uh, we're going to talk about Coach Mike's playing career, uh, going through his, his days as a football player, and then you know how he got into the coaching world. You'll learn about the technology side of things, uh, what his skill sets were, and we'll start talking about his coaching career in the professional level, which I think you'll find extremely interesting at the end of this this uh, first part of episode 87, where he talks about his experience with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You might be thoroughly impressed and uh, definitely interested in hearing how much work actually goes into building a winning program, a winning organization, because uh, they won the Super Bowl that year. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Mike Christensen. Take care. What's going on, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. As you guys heard in the introduction, I've got an awesome guest joining me today. And this is a guest that's going to talk about their experience in the coaching field, professionally and collegiately, as well as their playing days. But before coach Mike Christensen ever got into, you know, playing and coaching, he fell in love with the game at a young age. So Mike, I first want to say I th appreciate you joining the show. And maybe if we can elaborate a bit uh, about when you fell in love with the game of football. Uh, no problem, Shane. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I would tell you, uh, I, I can remember as far back as uh, the Super Bowl uh, between the Dallas Cowboys and uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think it was 1976, and uh, I was sitting there, and we were getting ready to go over my my grandparents' house for a little holiday uh, meal or get-together. I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, I remember, uh, you know, back then we had to, you know, channel change the, the TVs with a little dial, a little remote, right? And uh, I kept flipping the channel. My mom kept coming in and changing it back, and I kept flipping the channel. Finally came across the game. And uh, just got sucked into it because right about that time was about the time Lynn Swan made that immaculate catch and and uh, was falling down to the ground. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that, that is amazing. And I got sucked into the game and made my parents wait until uh, you know, the game was over we, 
before we jumped in the car and headed over to my grandparents' house. But uh, from that moment on, uh, I was a I was a football junkie and uh, and I was a Steeler fan at heart. So uh, I got sucked in pretty fast. So it was one of those things where the Steelers had the the same black and gold as the Cuna Cavemen that I graduated from here in Idaho. Oh man. Okay. So we're going to get to that in just a second. I got to, I got to step back now. Um, hearing that story. See, I'm a Cowboys fan. So that kind of pains me. Like it's, it's hurtful. I got to go Shane. I got to go then. I can't <laughs> talk to you anymore. <laughs> I love it, man. But Hey, like I, I fell in love with the game of football as well in a similar aspect. It was during Super Bowl 28. I was only five years old at the time, but my mom happened to be watching the Cowboys play the bills. Um, and, and I just, I didn't know much about the game back then, but I just remember her screaming, you know, go buddy, go. And she was talking about Emmett Smith. And, uh, that's kind of when I, I, I started rooting for the Cowboys. Cause apparently that was the family team. And then it kind of just stuck with me. And I, I just love the game. So it's funny. I, I started, you know, falling in love with the game at, during a super bowl as well. Now coach, you, you mentioned, you know, you graduated from CUNA high school here in the treasure Valley of Idaho. Now CUNA is about what? 10, 15 miles outside of Boise, give or take maybe 20. I don't know. Um, so for any of my listeners that are across the country, uh, just to give you a perspective, it's, it's pretty close to Boise, Idaho, the capital. And now when you were at CUNA, did you uh, play football there? And, and if so, what position did you play? Oh, man, I, I played football from the time I was 10 years old. I mean, I, uh, I played uh, all the way up through, uh, you know, the peewee leagues, what we call them, uh, what we call them, Pop Warner back then, and uh, played for the Marine Corps League and uh, right there in CUNA and uh, played junior high football, played high school football, went off to college. But, you know, back then CUNA was uh, – wasn't the uh, driving metropolis it is now. It was probably about 1,400 people, and now I think it sits somewhere around 15,000, which is remarkable to me. But, uh, no, I played uh, every year, uh, every moment that I possibly could. Uh, we played at lunchtime. We played in the summertime. We had, a, we had a big old empty lot in my neighborhood, and we played on the weekends and after school and whenever we could play. And uh, I, I've, I've never missed a year. I've never – Never missed a year not playing and uh, never missed a year to injury or anything like that. So uh, I was pretty fortunate. But, uh, yeah, I played the game all the way up through till I was about, wow, I want to say 26, 27 years old. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's been uh, quite an experience, playing experience for me. Okay, so after high school, you, from what I understood, you started at Portland State, uh, ended at Western Oregon. Is that correct? Yeah, I played for Pokey Allen. Uh, I played for Pokey Allen. Tom Mason was my position coach. I played a little linebacker for, for those guys at Portland State. And then uh, back then, you know, they changed programs and stuff like that. Portland State eliminated my degree and so forced me to uh, transfer to another school. And I, luckily there was one right down the street that uh, had uh, had my same degree and, and gave me an opportunity to go down there. And I went down there and played for an, another couple years and uh finished my career up at Western Oregon. Man, that's awesome. And so you you did you started as linebacker. Is that the position you finished off as? Like what positions did you play throughout your playing career? <laughs> no. No, Shane. I, I kinda moved around a little bit. I started out linebacker. I was an outside linebacker and a and a tight end in high school. And when I when I went to Portland State they moved me to middle linebacker. I played middle linebacker for a little bit and then uh when I transferred to Western Oregon they needed a tight end. And uh, so they moved me to tight end. I played tight end for two years. And then my last year, uh, we went through a transition, went through a new head coach. Uh, we weren't very good. Uh, but uh, they brought back an old coach. His name was Bill MacArthur. And uh, at the time they brought him back, he was the oldest college coach in the nation. He was older than Eddie Robinson, who was at Grambling at the time. 
and uh, boy, it showed. I mean, he was trying to teach us the veer. It was ugly, uh, but they had nobody that was uh, as physical as I was uh, on the offensive side of the ball and as a good a blocker, so they wound up moving me to left tackle. And uh, the funny part was, is I was about 235 pounds at tight end, and during the off season in the, in the spring, they came to me and told me, "Hey, listen, we need you need you to lose some weight at that position and and uh, come into camp somewhere around 210, 215 pounds." So I did that. Uh, came in the uh, best shape of my life to play tight end, and three days into into fall camp, they they moved me to left tackle, and I was a 210 pound left tackle. And the only reason I was there is because I understood leverage and I understood how to block and I was physical enough to get it done, but I will tell you the learning curve going from uh, an attached position, at the, you know, a tight end spot or a wide receiver spot to an offensive line position uh, was uh, very, very difficult. We opened up the season my first year against Western Washington uh, up there in Bellingham, and back then in those days, Western Washington was one of those schools that just basically they got all the rejects from Washington and Washington State and. Uh, they were powerhouses. All the guys that couldn't make it into school at those schools somehow made their way to Western Washington. And I can, I'll never forget this. I wound up uh, going against a, a defensive end who was about 265 pounds. He was built like a Greek statue and uh, just physical and strong. And I'll, I'll never forget, I walked off that field with more grass on my backside than there was on the field. And I went right up to the O-line coach afterwards and I said, I said, Coach, listen, I'll play I'll play tackle for you, but if you don't teach me how to win at this position, going against guys that are you know 50 pounds heavier than me, it's going to be a long year. And he did. He took some extra time. We spent a lot of time doing going over leverage and and how to use your hands and things like that, and and really opened my eyes on what I wanted to do next in the profession if I couldn't keep playing. And that was the coach. Man, okay, this is this is really cool to hear that though because you know you in a sense, coach, were the Swiss army knife of, of an athlete, but we usually hear that term. I mean, you usually hear that term with like skill positions, like a wide receiver, like H back, like all these, like a Shane Williams Rhodes, who was a former Boise state football player. We'd call him a Swiss army knife. You know, Jeremy McNichols was another one that's big in the Valley, but there's other ones in the NFL and, and people, but you don't usually hear about it too often. You know, for someone who goes from a linebacker position going around the, you know, the linebacker spots to a tight end over to a left tackle. That's insane. Like, and what you just explained is perfect because for anyone who understands the game, like that's a major shift in, in, in skill set. So it's kind of cool to hear that you were able to hold your own and get the correct coaching, which then, like you said, kind of pushed you into that idea and that mindset of like your coaching aspect of things and how you wanted to move forward. So after college, you decided you're going to coach, and and from what I understood, you were helping with the offensive line at Western Oregon. Is that correct? Well, so I, there was never a time since the, since I was 10 years old that I thought I would do anything other than either play football or coach football. I, I always wanted to be part of the game. I knew that was my goal. Uh, you know, even when I transferred to Western Oregon, I knew eventually I, I'd wind up coaching. But uh, yeah, so what happened was is. I basically was able to get uh, one more year of eligibility, but uh, unfortunately, my 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 playing career was ended. I had a I had a tumor on, on my pelvic bone, and and it uh, fractured my bone, and uh, during the off season, and I wound up not being able to recover enough to come back and play my last year, and so. The the new head coach who came in because again we were abysmal my my last year as a player at Western and we were 0 and 9 and not very good 
And, uh, again, it was more to do with the fact we had a uh, – I mean, he was a great coach during his time, but I think he'd reached the max point of his coaching career. He's a little bit senile, right? And uh, it was it was kind of difficult trying to teach everybody the veer offense and when we couldn't get past one play. And I'll never forget, man, our last year playing, we, we were basically like he would call the same play over and over and over and over. Uh, to one point, our quarterback made up a pass play, drew it up in the dirt, and uh, got sacked for a 35-yard loss. So that's how bad we were. <laughs> and uh, so from a coaching aspect, I came in the next year. I didn't recover from the from the injury, the surgery, and uh, basically the new head coach and the offensive line coach who'd worked with me previously just said I was still a student. I hadn't quite graduated yet. Asked me if I, you know, they wanted to keep me involved in the program and asked me if I if I wanted to help out. And so that's what I did. My first year, I was a student assistant, and I worked with the offensive line coach and uh, coached the offensive line. And, again, going back to the playing experience, I think if you could take every coach and made sure that they had those playing experiences on different sides of the ball to give them a better appreciation of how the game is played on both sides, uh, it's beneficial. I've said this about players, too. If you could take a player and teach him – how to be a coach first before he was a player, he would understand the game and be a lot more coachable and, and understand the things that he can get away with and can do uh, where you can't do, you know, sometimes when you're just going just to being a player, right? So there's some experiences on both sides that benefit who you are as a player and who you are as a coach if you could do both. And But my experience on both sides of the ball was really one of those things that kind of opened my eyes to, you know, I understood playing linebacker, and I always liked offense, but the difference is being reactionary, right, and 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 then also dict- being a dictator. On offense, you want to be a dictator. On defense, you're reacting. You're you're always reactionary. And so I kind of gravitated towards the offensive side of the ball and the offensive line. And so working with that coach uh, for that first year as a student assistant, learning more about the offense, working with the guys, he really let me run loose. He he said, Hey, listen up. You coach these guys. Don't just be the guy standing in the background. You you coach these guys. You take them. And I wound up taking the tackles and the tight ends, and he would work with the interior guys, and we'd go through that stuff uh, together and then come back together and, and work on the, the group as a whole. But I learned so much in that first year. But more importantly, as a coach, the, the, the guy that we brought in was a coach. He's a Hall of Fame guy, high school guy out of, out of Oregon. Uh, his name's Randy Wagner. And he he came in, and I saw him take a team – and this is where I really developed my philosophy as a coach and a lot of the things that I still instill today. And that is, you know, he took a team that was 0-9 and in his first year as, co- as a coach, turned that exact same team into a 6-3 and team that competed for the NAIA uh, division championship. And so it was one of those things where it just took three things. It took a little dedication took a little discipline, and it took a lot of desire, and he instilled that in the players. And I just grew from that. And he used to say this all the time. He used to say, listen, guys, there's a formula to this game. It's pretty simple. He says dedication, desire, and discipline equal respect. And once you can develop those three categories, those three Ds, he called them, three Ds equal an R, uh, once you get those three down, and it doesn't matter what order you get them down in, but once you get them down, the respect for yourself, the respect for the game, the respect for your community, the respect for all the things that you think football teaches in life that you want you want to have happen both on and off the field, those things start to transpire. 
And once that respect is gained, then opponents start respecting you. Your teammates start respecting you. The team starts respecting itself. And those are the things that, that I've really taken to task. And every program and every team that I've been on ever since has had elements of that. And the more successful we've been, the more elements of those that formula has formulated throughout the throughout my career. And so it was really one of those things, Shane, where I learned so much in such a short time as a, an assistant offense student assistant offensive line coach, where all I had to do was study on my my, my schoolwork and then coach football. That you know, it, it's a period, it's a year in my life that was so beneficial to my career. And then from that point on, you know, I did a good enough job. I worked hard enough. I I graduated that year. The, the head coach said, hey, listen, I'm going to pay for your graduate school. I want you to come on. I'm going to move you to tight ends and let you coach the tight ends. And that's kind of where, from there on, I just kind of catapulted and just managed to work my way up. Man, what an awesome story there, too. Like, I never would have known the details behind that. And it's cool to hear it from a coach's perspective, like how beneficial the, the first year that you had there was. And, and like you said, it catapulted you for the rest of your career. Um, well, I, so, let, me, let me just add to that, Shane, because I will tell you that as a player, too, it's the same thing. And there's a, ph- a philosophy when you go from high school to college and college to the pros even, right, that players, they go through – uh, basically a development process. When you go from being a senior in high school, right, to that first year in college, and this is a big argument of why junior colleges players aren't necessarily as successful as four-year players are, right? Because that first year that you come out of high school and you go into college, you wind up just being a sponge, right? You're a blackboard, and, and it's just blank, and people can write on it, and you soak it all up. And so what happens is a lot of players that come in as freshmen, you know, they're playing those four-year programs, they're developing the philosophy of their head coach, and that helps the program be successful. Uh, on contrary, you look at players who go to junior colleges, right, and they have a lot less uh, success rate because what do they do? They go in and they develop the philosophy of their junior college coach who only has it for two years, and then right in the middle, they got to basically start over as freshmen. Even though they're junior, they're basically starting over philosophically as a freshman, and sometimes it's very difficult for them to do that. It's the same thing in the pros, right? You take these guys, these senior guys, and they think they have all the answers, and they get in the pros, and they understand they don't. <laughs> and so that's kind of the development of a coach, too, as you go through your career and as you as, as you build in each program. If you can't learn something from every program that you get in, whether it's good or bad, then it's time to retire and time to move on. Absolutely. I love that piece of it, man. Thank you. And so you, you, you were coaching at the collegiate level for, you know, quite a while there. Um, and rumor has it, you took a, a couple years off or, or a year off in between to essentially use your knowledge, um, and, and your, you know, your education when it came to technology to, to do something different still with sports though. So let's have you elaborate on that a little bit, if you would, please. Well, you know, it's funny because my my master's degree, I had a dual master's. I have one in uh, administration, uh, education administration, and then I have one um, in computer applications. And the funny part is, is, you know, that's when computers were first coming out, right? (laughs) Way back, way back in the early 90s, right? That's when they were, the Mac was first getting popular. And so uh, I was able to to manage just a a minor there in, in that degree. And and uh, learn how to use the Mac computer and all that kind of stuff and the IBMs and the floppy disks and all the stuff that, that we've, we've gravitated away from today. But 
the, the goal was, you know, I was going to be a coach. That's what I was going to do. And, and in life, you know, life throws you stumbling blocks and puts the roadblocks in your way, and you got to deviate and all that kind of good stuff. And, and I had done that. I, I coached at Western for about three or four years, and then I went from Western to a small private school uh, in Portland, Oregon, at Lewis and Clark College. I coached there for a year and then just gra- gradually moved my way up the, up the chain. And I got on at Portland State, went back to Portland State, where I coached uh, the offensive line for a year, and then I coached the running backs for about three years. And uh, coached probably the best player I've ever coached in, in, in my career there, Charles Dunn. Uh, who's in the Hall of Fame there in, in at Portland State, but uh, just an unbelievable player. And, and but but what happened was is you know, I was growing up too, right? I, I was married, had one son, and then all of a sudden here I was at Portland State. It was an NA, excuse me, it was not NAI, but it was the NCAA one um, AA at the time. You know, we played. We just moved into the Big Sky Conference with Montana and Montana State and some of those schools and. Uh, you don't make much money, man, as an assistant coach. I mean, the, the salaries they make today were, were paled in comparison to what, you know, they made, guys made back then. I mean, they're just so much bigger and so much greater and assistants make so much money. We were lucky to make about, you know, 25 grand a year. And, uh, that was really hard for a family of three, uh, to live on. And so what happened was is that family of three became a family of four and, uh, the, the fourth one was on its way. And after four years at Portland State, I, I just decided I needed to make I needed to make some money. I needed to do something like that, and I thought, well, how can I do this and still stay in football? And there was a company called Avid Sports. Uh, everybody's heard of Avid Technologies. They're the ones that built the first uh, nonlinear digital editor, uh, where they, you know, that's how CGE and all that kind of stuff. That's where all that stuff started. So all the movies and stuff that you see today, a lot of those are still edited on. Uh, the, the media composer that Avid Technologies builds and, and designs, and uh, it basically computer-generated video. Uh, you know, back in the day when we did 16-millimeter uh, tape, and then it was VHS, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, this company invented this this program that would take video off of a tape, put it on a computer, and then put marks on it so that you could make every play an individual cut-up. And they actually came out to Portland State, my, my last year coaching there, and and we got him to install a system, and, and I got the bulk of the training and, and uh, impressed somebody there somehow, some way. I don't know how I did it. But uh, uh, they reached out to me a couple different times, asked me if I wanted to come work for them. And, and then finally, when uh, I knew my fourth, my, excuse me, my second child was on its way, uh, I decided, you know what, I, I, I need to make some money. So I took a job with Avid Sports. They're based out of Boston, and I did that uh, for a little over a year and uh, traveled around. Uh, I got to train. Uh, just some unbelievable coaches. We installed systems at the New Orleans Saints. That's where I met Mike Dicka. Uh, we, we got to do Pete Carroll in New England. We got to do uh, just about every single team in the National Football League. And so I got to meet a lot of people and rub elbows with some people. And that's when I first met Bill Callahan. And uh, at the time, Bill was an assistant at Wisconsin. And uh, uh, Bill turned out to be uh, one of my one of my mentors and uh one of the guys that I kind of look up to in this profession and, and talked to me a lot and kind of took me under his wing, you know, knew, knew my background, but he was also, he loved the technology side of things. So the job afforded me an opportunity to stay in the game and still teach it from a different, a different venue, right? And I got to work with a lot of coaches, a lot of different people, a lot of, and heck, I did basketball coaches too. I, I taught Bobby Knight how to, how to use a computer. I mean, it was, it was insane. It was just a weird year in my life, but, uh, but it was exciting as well. But, 
as a coach, man, that itch just always itches for you, right? I mean, you just always, it's always in the back of your head and you're just always thinking about it. And the more I was away from the game, the more I missed it, the more I needed to be part of it. And so after a year doing that, I went back and, uh, uh, Mike Kramer, who was the head coach at Eastern Washington at the time, got the head job at Montana State. And, uh, I wound up going with him, uh, to Montana State. But in the meantime, I spent a ton of time still doing some of that that computer stuff during the off season going I went to the Oakland Raiders a couple of times when John excuse me when John and, and Bill actually got the job in Oakland they wanted up going to Oakland Bill would bring me out I would help him on the computer set some up stuff set some stuff up for him during the off season you know that kind of stuff and uh just got to know John Gruden pretty well and uh sort of that program and the way they worked and uh and again it was all afforded to that opportunity of doing something a little bit different still part of the game but a little bit different, and uh, it's something I'll never regret. That's super cool to see how you were able to utilize your skill sets in a different way and still have an impact on the game. And you mentioned John Gruden, and that's where you made your NFL coaching debut uh, was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Gruden back in 2002. Um, Not many people that we've spoken to have, have been able to say, you know, they've been part of a Super Bowl organization, whether as a coach, as a player, whatever, and um, you were able to do that. Can you elaborate on that season in 2002, what it was like to be part of an organization that was a winning organization, have you, and not only winning, they they went to the Super Bowl and won it. Uh, what was that like coaching with Gruden and with that organization, with those players? Well, that's a funny story. I mean, just getting to that point was uh, just kind of a, I mean, it was just amazing journey, right? I mean, here I was, I was coaching at Montana State, going back and forth to camps and all the stuff with the Raiders while they were there. And uh, literally, um, I was I headed off to the Combine because John had called me and said, hey, listen, uh, I got a potential job for you. Would you would you like to come to Oakland and be the assistant line coach? And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's my goal. I want to coach in the, you know, I want to coach in the NFL like, like every good coach. And, uh, so he said, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll meet you out at the Combine. We'll talk and all that kind of stuff. Now, they had already offered the job to Aaron Cromer, who I think is the online coach now at the Rams. But uh, Aaron was at Northwestern at the time. He had a family as well. Um, his his son had some special needs. And so he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to take the job just because of the insurance and, and all that stuff. So I met with John at the Combine there in Indianapolis that year, and uh, we talked, and and he gave me a formal interview and all that stuff. And then uh, later on in the week, and as I was traveling back to uh, to uh, Montana, uh, he gave me a call in the airport. And he said, hey, listen, it sounds like, you know, Aaron is uh, going to be able to take the job. He goes, uh, you did a great job. And he goes, I'm going to hire you. And he says, not today, but someday you and I are going to work together. And he goes, I can promise you that. I just didn't realize it was going to be as quickly as it was. And it was literally one of those things the next year – so what I decided to do, uh, Shane, is I actually took another year off of football, and I went back to work uh, in the technology industry and, and teaching coaches and stuff like that, and became the uh, I became the marketing director and uh, inside sales guy for for a company called XOS Technologies, which was an offshoot of Avid Sports, and uh, basically doing the same thing just on a different platform with a different application, and I and I started to do that for about a year, and it, they were based in Orlando. And I was in constant communication with John and Bill all the time throughout the year. You know, all that stuff went back and saw him a couple of times, was working directly with them. And at one point there was a bunch of rumors going on that John was going to be the, the next head coach at Notre Dame. And uh, 
So they called me one day and they say, hey, listen, we're going to Philadelphia. We're going to play the Eagles. Do you want to come out? We want to visit with you. And so I did. I went out there. And sure enough, John you know, confirmed that, you know, he was being courted by Notre Dame and asked me if I wanted to come to Notre Dame. And I'm, I'll go wherever you're at, coach. I just basically so I looked at him and said, listen, you said we'd work together. I will go wherever you're at. And he said, great. And, uh, went home and about four weeks later, they were getting ready to go into the playoffs. And, uh, Bill Callahan called me on the phone and said, Mike, listen, uh, uh, our tight end coach is going to retire. We're going to move Aaron Cromer over to the tight end position. Uh, and then, you know, that job is open and John's not going to interview anybody. It's yours if you want it. And I said, well, I'm in. And I said, well, what happened to Notre Dame? He said, well, he decided he's got a better opportunity here to stay in Oakland, so we're going to stay here. Great. So, uh, you know, they go through the playoffs. That's the year of the tuck rule. I don't remember you remember the tuck bowl with uh, New England, the year Oakland is playing in the, the AFC championship game, and that whole thing goes down, and they wind up losing the game. And I called Bill, you know, talked to him the following Tuesday, and he said, hey, listen, everything's still on, still on go. You're going to show up at the combine, and that'll be your first official business for the Oakland Raiders. So I'm, I said, great. And so I went and gave my notice at the technology company that I was working at, and about three days before the combine, uh, I'm in Orlando. My wife's in uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, and I get a call at like 5.30 in the morning, and she said, hey, did you see ESPN? I said, no, and, and you turned the TV on yet. She said, well, John's gone. John just left Oakland. I said, what are you talking about? And she said, yeah, he's gone. He took the night train. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means. Where'd he go? She says, well, it looks like he's going. he got traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, this might be kind of good. These guys are coming over here. I'm already in Orlando. Uh, you know, this will be a, an easy transition. So I gave John a call, got no answer. I gave Bill a call, got no answer, and this went on for about three days to the point where I was getting kind of nervous. I hadn't heard from anybody, hadn't talked to anybody, and literally um, didn't have a job. In, in about a week, I would be out of work, and uh, so I, I didn't know what to do. And then Friday night, uh, I was headed out to dinner with uh, a colleague of mine, and uh, the phone rang at about 9 o'clock at night, and uh, it was John. He's like, Mike. John Gruden. I said, hey, what's going on? And he was like, he goes, you want to come to Tampa and coach? And I, so I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll, whatever you want to do. I'll go wherever you're at. So he said, well, you be out here Monday. And I showed up. And uh, from that moment on, that entire year was a whirlwind. I mean, everything just was so fast. I mean, it, it was just, uh, I can't even begin. It was the Audubon, Shane. It was the Audubon. I mean, it was everything was so fast. I mean, I go into the interview. I'm meeting with him. I'm meeting with the uh, the offensive coordinator, Bill Muir, at the time. And uh, basically, John just said, listen, Mike, I just, you know, the job's yours. I just want you to meet with Bill, make sure you guys get along and all that kind of good stuff. And he goes, I'll, I'll be right back. And he goes, I'll give you guys 20 minutes to visit. He walked out of the room. He was gone for less than three. He came back in. He said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, yeah, well, I want to coach in the NFL. And he says, well, do you want the job? Here's what I'm going to pay you. Here's what you're going to get. Here's what your responsibilities are. you got the offensive line. You're going to help Bill. And I said, okay. And uh, he, he said, well, I, all I need is I want to wrap this up. What's your decision? And I said, well, coach, i got a wife. i got to call her and tell her. She's not going to be very happy if I don't, if I don't you know, talk to her. And in the meantime, I was trying to get a hold of Bill Callahan. I was trying to talk to Bill Callahan because – Apparently, none of those guys were going with John, and Bill was my guy. John was, you know, the, the, the other guy kind of deal. And so I hadn't had a chance to talk to Bill, and uh, I said, well, let me let me talk to my wife. And, 
And he goes, sure, no problem, no problem. And he picked up the phone and he handed it to me. He said, let's give her a call. <laughs> and so I knew right then and there I wasn't leaving the room without a decision. So I pulled the trigger and made a decision. And, and unfortunately, or fortunately, because it worked out either way, you know, the next morning I had a call from Bill Callen who said he just interviewed for the Oakland job. But from that moment on, Shane, it, again, it was, it was a whirlwind. I mean, we hit the, we hit the ground running. John, everything they say about him being a grinder is true. Uh, the guy works tirelessly all the time, and I learned so much football from him in just a short amount of time, and just how to work and all that kind of good stuff. That you know, it was just amazing. And you know, back then that was the year. That was one of the years they experimented without having the uh, the uh, bye week between the uh, championship game and the Super Bowl. And what a mess, man! I will tell you that was just an unbelievable deal. I'm glad they don't do that anymore because it was awful. We played the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC Championship game, and and uh, man, the next thing you know, we're we're back on a plane. That was on a Sunday. We're back on a plane, and then Tuesday morning, we're on a plane leaving for San Diego, and we got to play a game in four or five days. And so it was one of those things where everything just was going so fast, full speed ahead. You didn't have a chance to take a breath. And I'll remember, I'll never forget this. I mean, the NFL is a different deal. You know, when you're, when you're coaching college football, you get to that, there's always that letdown period, right, right around the 11th and 12th or 13th game in college. You, you just, you just take a deep breath and your body just kind of relaxes because you know the season's at its end and you're gearing up for recruiting. But the NFL, you can't do that because that's when the season is really starting. It's really starting to begin. If you're in the playoff hunt and you're, you're in the run, that's when your season really begins because you look at it, there's only there's only you know so many teams that make the playoffs and so many teams have a chance and it's so hard to get to the Super Bowl that man you, all your work all your effort up to that point you just double it and and you want you want it working twice as long and twice as hard and it, it's funny I mean people just don't really understand what kind of hours coaches put in and they look at you sometimes when you tell them they think well you're an eight to five guy or you know you work twelve hours a day. And the truth of the matter is, man, in the National Football League, if you're not the head guy and the coordinator, you're working 20 hours a day, and you're maybe getting about two or three hours of sleep in your office on a Monday and a Tuesday before you get towards the end of the week and actually can get, you know, four or five hours. But for the most most of the time, man, you are just grinding 20, 20 hour, 20 plus hours a day as long as you can for. Think about it, 16 weeks in a regular season, four weeks in a preseason, and if you make the playoffs, you're looking at another four weeks. We literally played 23 games. We played 23 games in one year, uh, which is double the college season, right? That I that I had ever gone through, and uh, so man, it was it was it was a grind. It was a whirlwind, and everything just went by so fast that sometimes you think back and you go, "Oh man, yeah, I remember that." And because you really had to do that, because you never had a chance to really truly enjoy it until the. In fact, it never really truly hit me that we won the Super Bowl. And never truly was that feeling of celebration until we were landing in Tampa. And the pilot told us, he said, guys, listen, we're going to do a flyover. We've been cleared to do a flyover over the stadium. They flew over Raymond James, and the stands were full. And this is at like 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. And the stands were full. The parking lot was full. It was un- it was surreal. And we landed we got on the bus. They drove the bus directly to the stadium and drove it into the stadium. And the streets from the airport uh, all the way to the stadium were just lined with people with signs and all that kind of stuff, hooting and hollering. I mean, it had been a great 
victory for Tampa, right? Because they're coming off such a, you know, just one of those franchises that just struggled for so long to have that kind of victory. It was, it was huge. And, uh, they drove the bus right in on the grass and the podium was set up. We all got on the podium and that's when it really hit me. That's when it really hit me what we'd accomplished and what we had done. I hope you guys have enjoyed part one of this two-part episode with Coach Mike Christensen. So far, we've learned about his playing days as well as the beginning of his coaching career as he went through the college rounds and then made his way over to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and how they won the Super Bowl. It's given us a little bit of an insight of how much work truly goes into being a coach at that level uh, and what it takes for an organization to win at that level. Please stay tuned for part two, which will be next Friday of this episode. Thanks, guys.